Hi guys, I'm starting a book club. Boom. <laughs> Introduction. Help! That's the silent cry of a broken heart. Where do I go? Where do I turn? How did I get into this situation? And how do I get myself out? Help! I tried to smile through it all, but I was hurting inside and feel lost. I experienced the kind of emotional pain that makes you want to curl up in a ball and give up. No amount of tears could end the deep ache in my heart, but God said not so. Every dark day and lonely night, I struggled to find answers to my problems. I didn't realize the, the, the Lord was there with me. I've suffered in never having the love of my biological father. Rejection from family, adultery, dealing with the drug addiction of a loved one, contemplating abortion and insecurities, now as a mother, sister, aunt, grandmother, and spiritual mother too, I can tell you through the depths of my pain and breakthroughs, there is only one person who can bring you out of all of your dark places into a life of light and hope. That is Jesus Christ. Looking back, I can see God's hand guiding me, protecting me even when I nearly drowned at a woman's retreat. I was floundering in the middle of the lake and didn't think I was going to make it. The women on the bank raced to link their arms together and made a human chain to pull me to shore. Wow. God has work for me to do for his kingdom. That same is true for you today. God is saying not so. Not so to a life of regret, depression, rejection, fear, poverty or whatever you're facing at this very moment he says you will live and prosper that's why it's not a coincidence that you have this book in your hand god is introducing himself to you because he wants you to make him lord of your life he wants to deliver you from every situation and experience that has left you in despair life is full of challenges and adversities Maybe you're dealing with a major change in your life, like a divorce or retirement, and you feel lost, unsure of what to do now. This is an opportunity to let God do something new in your life. He wants to open doors that offer new vitality and hope. For some of you, he's calling you back to him because you got off track. The Lord wants to restore you. He's pushing you to a place where you realize you can't live this life on your own terms, making up the rules as you go along. God wants you to stop running, stop hiding, stop the guilt trips and blaming others. The Lord is pressing you into a place where it's you and him so he can minister to your soul. God wants a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with you. It doesn't come by going to church alone or doing nice things for other people. Or trying to think good thoughts. There are steps you have to take to save your life. 
God wants you to have a full life filled with love, peace, and joy, despite the obstacles you encounter. He says in his word in John 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You can have that life when you have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. God sends his word of life, life giving love and restoration through his servants. This book has been on my heart for some time. He knows that you, like so many others, including me, have tried to manage on our own what came at us. I had my own business and made good money, but I was completely lost. Living a life of sin that left me empty. God wants you to know there is a way that may seem right to you, but it leads to the destruction of your soul. Jesus Christ came to earth to pay for our sins. Through his death and resurrection, you can have a new life of divine victory. Divine means related to or proceeding directly from God. Victory means defeating the enemy. God wants to teach you how to use his authority to live a victorious life. Despite all that the devil throws at you, the devil doesn't want anything good for you. He'd like to take you out point blank. John 10 and verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God has a plan for your life, as God said in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Your future is in each of these 12 steps explained in this book. In the Bible, the number 12 signifies godly protection and authority. 12 also signifies complete. Jesus had 12 disciples. There were 12 sons of Jacob who made up the tribes of Israel. Israel is the nation through which God introduced himself to the world. Each of these 12 steps is discussed in the Bible. No one step stands alone. Each one moves you in a steady progression towards a life of divine victory. You may be practicing 10 of these 10 steps. But 10 of these steps, but there's a barrier that's keeping you from pressing through to the next level. This manual will help you rise above that hurdle. There will be bumps along the way and blind spots you didn't see coming. But with each step, you come to a higher level of thinking and living. This is God's plan for you. To step by step make you more and more like him. So you are his light in the world. He wants you to have a good wants you to have good godly success. It's not just for you alone. God wants to bless your family, friends, and the world through his plans for you. I believe that. I've gone through every one of these steps, suffered in the agony of disobedience, learning to wait, seeking God in prayer, and praising him when I'm not seeing the results. I've had to learn to forgive, which has freed me from so much torment and pain. This is your opportunity. God is offering what you need to thrive in this world.
These steps require your commitment and willingness to be completely honest with yourself. You are well worth it. God created you in his image as my son, who is a prophet in our church, New Vision Worship Center International says, you're built for this. Use these steps continually so you never wander off track. These principles are a lifestyle. Make the decision to walk step by step out of everything that you've struggled with in your past and present. When you make God your first priority, he will bless you abundantly. Isaiah chapter 1 verses 19 says, If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. At the conclusion of the book, members of the church, my husband and I pastor New Vision Worship Center International, share heartfelt testimonies about what God has done in their lives. Each of them have faced hardships and challenges. The one thing they all have in common is that they've learned through their trials to trust God. Some of their problems haven't completely disappeared, but they've grown in their faith, which has changed how they view circumstances. Through these steps, they are equipped to face situations, knowing God is with them and guiding them. There is a joy and peace that comes with their walk with the Lord that you too can experience when you commit to live a life of divine victory. Okay, that's the introduction, guys. This is 12 Steps to Divine Victory by Prophetess Gwendolyn Richardson. Again, 12 Steps to Divine Victory by Prophetess Gwendolyn Richardson. Oh my God, I'm in the tub getting my life. I love reading in the tub. It's warm. It's my quiet place for the most part. My baby journey may come through. I am enjoying this book, 12 Steps to Divine Victory. The introduction was, you know, it was just what I needed. Warm me up, get it going, get it going. Come on, build up the momentum. I'm so ready to tackle chapter one now. And the faster I get it out, the faster you get it out. We're going to talk about it. Hmm. Chapter one is confession. Life can bring you to a place where no matter what you do, how you plan or try to manage your circumstances, things just don't work out the way you want them. Your frustration level might be through the roof right now and the challenges you face seem overwhelming. You've tried to work it out to come up with a plan to deal with your problems. Or maybe you've thrown in the towel and said, I give up. But I want you to know, you don't have to have all the answers. God didn't create, create us to live without his help. Let me say that again. God did not create us to live without his help. He loves you and wants you to come to him for guidance in every aspect of your life. God designed you to be in relationship with him, so don't be surprised. You can't handle all the circumstances of your own, of your life on your own. Proverbs 21, chapter 2 says, A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Oh my gosh, that touched me. Wow. 
Your heart might be broken, and the place you find yourself in emotionally has left you isolated, feeling hopeless and shamed. Oh my God, this book is shaming me. Maybe you feel like the victim or you're or you've victimized others. You don't have to live that way. Yes, this pattern of living is familiar. Yes, it's the place you've come to know, but you're exhausted. Living in constant despair and stressed out is beneath who God created you to be. It's time to be honest with yourself and take a long, truthful look at what has you feeling stuck and helpless. Mm-mm-mm. Oh my gosh. What you are afraid to confess will help will keep you locked up emotionally in your mind, body, and soul. What you are afraid to confess will keep you locked up emotionally in your mind, body, and soul. This is confirmation. God, the creator of heaven and earth, knew the appointed time you would be born before you existed. This is true. The creator God has a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Notice the scripture says, For I know the plans I have for you. A plan is defined as a proposal for doing or achieving something. God has a plan for your life. Though it might not be the one you thought up, the plan might not be the one you started in order to please your family or the one you are attracted to because it's working for so-and-so. God created a plan just for your life. Let me repeat that. God created a plan just for your life. One he put in place before you were in your mother's womb. Think about that for a minute. One he put in place before you were in your mother's womb. If God has a plan for you, again, he doesn't expect you to manage your life without him. That means you have the God of the universe who loves you and is willing to help you with a plan uniquely designed for you. One that fits the gifts and talents he placed in you. One that fits the gifts and talents he placed in you. This book is blessing me. It's up to you to allow God to lead and guide you through every aspect of your life. So you can fulfill that plan. The one that fits only you. What a relief. You don't have to figure everything out on your own. You're not by yourself. Help is here. Jeremiah 29 Verses 12 and 13 says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I thank you. Wow. I was tired, exhausted, and at my wit's end when I turned to God. I was born as a result of an affair my mother had with another man when she was married. I have 14 brothers and sisters. 
My mother's husband left when I was a baby. I grew up poor and yearned to have a father in my life. I went to college, but dropped out when I was 21. My sister invited me to go with her on a double date. My date, Charles, was married. I did what I said I'd never do. I began having an affair with a married man. Charles was a fireman and a functioning crack cocaine addict. We had three children together. I was on welfare trying to take care of my babies while their father was out doing what he wanted to do. When he got paid, the check was gone before he came home. I tried to leave. Charles would find us. With the help of a woman who would babysit for very little money, I was able to go to cosmetology school. I opened a hair salon and began making my own money. I appeared to be doing well because I could take care of my kids, but I was still living in sin with their father. The guilt and shame of being in a relationship with a married man addicted to drugs was tearing me up inside. I went to a church Bible study one evening, and then I began yearning for the word of God. I stopped buying stolen handbags and bootleg movies from people who stopped by the shop. I confessed my sins to God, and my desires weren't the same anymore. I was so hungry for God that when I went to work and shared the word of the Lord with people, they fell out. The Holy Spirit moved Charles to get a divorce and go into treatment. Wow. He started going to church too. One Sunday, I got in the prayer line at church. I confessed to the pastor in front of the entire congregation. My children's father was a crack addict and asked for prayer. Everyone got on their knees and prayed for us. Today, we are married, and Charles Richardson serves as the bishop of New Vision Worship Center International in Jackson, Mississippi. We work hand-in-hand to fulfill God's plan for the ministry. This book is an invitation for you to begin to allow God to change your life as he did mine. God isn't going to force himself on you. The Lord gives you a free will to choose who you will serve, him or the world. She put the devil but him or the devil. And I call the devil the world. Things that come with the world, hate, racism, greed, judgment, you know, lack of empathy, you know, so much comes with that. John 10 verse 10 talks about the devil's objective. God calls him a thief. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The devil's goal is to destroy you and your family by any means necessary. Whether it's keeping you addicted to drugs, looking for pleasure in pornography, or killing and robbing, the list goes on. You're not living in those situations. You're just existing. That is totally right. When you're living, you are making choices. You are making movements. You are following God's lead, God's direction. Otherwise, you're just in the world doing what others are doing. You want to follow the righteous path or you want to follow the the worldly path. A life of sin is a type of death because you have no joy or peace. But you don't have to stay in that dismal state. There is a better, more fulfilling way to live. And God, invite God into your life by confessing your sins and accepting Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. Please, I'm doing something. Let me get out the tub and I'll help you. Close the door. Thank you. 
Invite God into your life by confessing your sins and accepting Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, as your Lord and Savior. Excuse me, guys, by the way. I have a three, almost four-year-old journey. <laughs> She's very active. Yeah, like I said, this is my quiet place for a moment until they find me. Confession means taking responsibility for your sins. You know the things you have said and done, the secrets you have kept. Share them with God. Confess your mistakes to him, whatever the problem is. Confess them. It's through acknowledging your sins that God can begin to heal your broken heart. And I am a witness to this. And I promise you, this book just jumped at me on my bookshelf. Um, it's from my late bonus mom, Yolanda Rose Elkhorn, Delandro. Um, she was blessed with this book by the author. She wasn't able to read it. And um, I feel like, you know, this was right on time for me. What I need in this moment. What I need to pass on at this moment. Um, I must confess, I have been holding things in my heart in a way, feeling like I'm releasing it, but I know that I'm not. So I'm I'm praying this book helps me release, you know. This chapter is called Confession, and I confess that I've been wronged, and I've, I've chose to hold on to it. And I feel, you know, that's that's natural, and I'm taking my time to release it. Okay, I'm going to start back up now. This is page 25, by the way. Confession means taking responsibility for your sins. You know the things you have said and done, the secrets you have kept. Share them with God. Confess your mistakes to him. Whatever the problems, confess them. It's through acknowledging your sins that God can begin to heal your broken heart. Confession removes the hold the devil has on your mind. Wow. Confession removes the hold the devil has on your mind. It's through your thoughts that he keeps you in bondage to sin. Once you confess the secrets, the hurt you've endured or caused, and accept your mistakes, the darkness lifts. That's how you remove the grip unconfessed sins have over you. Unconfessed sins keep you choked up, bottled up, and tied up in an unending cycle of pain and hurting others. Unconfessed. No, I'm going to bring it back more. Once you confess the secrets, the hurt you've endured or caused, and accept your mistakes, the darkness lifts. That's how you remove the grip unconfessed sins have over your life. Unconfessed sins keep you choked up, bottled up, and tied up in an unending cycle of pain and hurting others. God knows everything you've ever done or thought anyway. You can't hide from God. Job 34 verse 21 says, His eyes are, are on the ways of the mortals. He sees their every step. God is everywhere at the same time. When you confess over your sins, God sends his Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to live in your heart and guide you. God promises to be with you always. Hebrews 13 and 5 says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. All that is broken in your life can be healed when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Do you know sin separates us from God? Man was separated from God by Adam and Eve's disobedience in the Garden of Eden. 
In Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible talks about the creation of the world and Adam, the first man. He laid out the rules for Adam's. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. In Genesis 3, the devil, who the Bible says is cunning, convinced Eve to eat the apple and give some to Adam. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. When the couple ate from that tree, sin was allowed to enter the world. God sent his son Jesus to earth as a man to pay the penalty for our sins, which is death. Through Jesus' death on the cross, his burial and resurrection, our sins are forgiven, just as if they never happened. We can have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, who now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. We have eternal life because his resurrection means death is not the end. God has reserved a place for us with Jesus in heaven. This is the beginning of your journey to divine victory. There is no need to run or hide and let the devil torment you. Accept Jesus Christ by faith and begin the journey to healing everything that is broken in your life. Say this confession below and take the step, first step towards divine victory. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. Please come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Save me. I make you the Lord of my life. I rejoice you. Now all, allow the Lord to minister to you at this very moment. Let his love wash over you. This is the beginning of the journey to your divine victory. Psalms 37 verse 23 proclaims, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. That is the conclusion of chapter 1, which is confession in the book 12 Steps to Divine Victory by Prophetess Gwendolyn Richardson. That just blessed my soul. I really needed that. It's so easy to confess this is between you and God. This is also between you and the people that you've hurt. Whether it was intentional or not. If a person tells you you hurt them, an apology would be nice, you know. And also, like they say, God knows the condition of your heart. Check the condition of your heart. Make sure it's not you. Hey guys, it's Lovely Living. I am about to start chapter two. I hope you're enjoying so far. Um, reach out to me at Solely Living on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, what else am I on? <laughs> Yeah, find me on Instagram and we can chat there or Facebook. S-Zero-U-L-Y-L-I-V-I-N-G. And my website is www.rooted, the letter N, wellness. R-O-O-T-E-D, the letter N, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S dot com. Rooted in wellness. 
Here we are with chapter 2 of 12 Steps to Divine Victory. Chapter 2, Repentance. About face. Let me try to see how they say it. About face, I guess. <laughs> it's a command used in military basic training drills. The instructor calls out the moves for the group. And when he or she says, about face, everyone turns clockwise 180 degrees. Now the drill team is facing an opposite direction in, form in formation. That's what repentance is and about face. When you confess your sins to God, you agree that the way you have been living is wrong. The next step is to walk is to walking in divine victory is to make a conscious decision to change. So the next step to walking in divine victory is to make a conscious decision to change, to turn away from your sins. This is where you step off the treadmill of repeating the same attitudes and behaviors over and over again. Oh, I needed that. When you confess your sins and repent, Sin has no power over you anymore. You are not a slave to your past. Wow. To your past or to those strongholds. Nothing you have done is too horrible or too bad for God to forgive. Hebrew chapter 10 verse 16 through 17 states, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. By taking responsibility for your actions and repenting to God for your sins, you are allowing God to you are allowing the Lord to heal you from the inside out. Proverbs twenty eight verse thirteen states Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I truly believe it. Repentance produces feelings of brokenness and sorrow because you realize your life needs to change. As you think about the things you've done to others or about those experiences you've endured, you don't want to continue down the same road. That road is a path of darkness that only leads to more sin, more regret, and more feelings of hopelessness. It takes maturity to admit your mistakes and turn away from the old habits and find ways that have brought you to this point. Stop and think about your life and where you're headed. The good news of the gospel is that when you repent of your sins through faith in Jesus Christ, you have the God of the universe to protect and guide you in every situation you face, large and small. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, urges us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And then this same verse promises, and he will make your path straight. God is calling you to rise above disappointment, fear, and hurt, so he can bring you to a place of peace, joy, and love in your life. For me, this meant confronting the guilt and shame I felt for having children with a married man. 
I made all the excuses I could think of, but that didn't heal the wounds in my heart and the pain I inflicted on another woman. I cried out to God for forgiveness and repented. You and I have to be honest with ourselves. Stop making excuses and blaming other people for the situations we are in. My father's child, my children's father and I made the decision to become an adulterous relationship. And we had to accept the pain we caused his wife, as well as the guilt and regret we brought on ourselves. Please understand that repentance is not saying, I know I'm wrong. I won't do it again because you were caught doing something you should not have done. You're embarrassed and then you return to your old ways. Repentance takes place in your heart and mind. You have confessed your sins to God and now with humility, you submit your will to God's will for your life. You have a deep desire to change. That's that's what follows repentance. Now, that's not what's in the book, but I'm just saying that's what follows repentance. A deep, well, you know, it's what starts it and it keeps you going. The deep desire to change. Make the commitment to turn away from your sins and begin anew with Jesus Christ. God is not going to allow you to have peace living in sin. Galatians 6 and 7 tells us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. The Lord is waiting for you to accept his unconditional love. Revelations 3 verse 20 promises, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave, he redeemed us from death and hell, which were God's penalty for sin. Redeemed means to buy back. Jesus Christ took upon himself all of our sins so we could live an abundant life. Isaiah 44 and 22 talks of this wonderful reality, saying, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like a morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. There is an abiding peace in knowing you are not alone, and God is able to bring healing and restoration to your life. What God wants from you is a repentant heart. A heart willing to turn from sin and receive his love. I'm going to remind you of this throughout the steps to divine victory. God did not create you to manage your life without him. God created you to be in relationship with him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. He's waiting for you to decide to stop trying to be your own God, running your life your own way. Wow. Rebellion is a major issue we face as human beings because of the fact that Adam and Eve first rebelled against God when they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. Pride gets in the way. Some of us have a deep resentment of authority. If you haven't said these words, you've heard them. I'm grown. I do what I want. 
You don't tell me what to do. If you haven't said them, you've heard them said. But those words are far from the truth. Stop and think about it. In every area of your life, as a child or adult, whether you like it or not, someone is in authority over you. There are rules and regulations you have to abide by in society or you will face consequences. If you don't go to class and study, you won't pass the test. If you speed, you run the risk of getting a ticket. If you sell drugs and get caught, you're going to be arrested. On the job, your boss tells you what to do, such as when you can take a break or when an assignment is due. Even when renting a hotel room, the establishment tells you what time you can check in and what time you have to check out. This notion that you don't have to listen to anyone is just that, a notion. There must be a chain of command for there to be order and structure in society. The same is true in our spiritual lives. Psalm 6 verse 86 makes this clear stating, But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. The momentary pleasure you gain from not listening to anyone or blowing someone off keeps you in bondage to resentment and anger. Trying to prove, I've got this. Repenting moves you out of that place of working so hard to numb the pain you feel and into a place of seeking God for reassurance and strength. God forgives you when you repent. He begins to wash away your deep-seated anguish. The Apostle Paul rejoiced in this fact, stating in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Repentance requires making some decisions. What are you going to change so that you do not return to your old ways and habits? Your life won't change unless you are willing to change. God won't make up your mind for you. You have to make the commitment to change. Then trust God to help you. And God loves to help his children through such challenging times. Isaiah 41 and 10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Think about your family and friends. Have they had a positive impact on your life? Do you need to stop spending so much time with them? Or should you rethink the kind of relationships you have with them? What about the places you go? Should you be visiting these those same places and seeing the same people? Staying away from the people, places, and circumstances that you know lead to temptation and sin might challenge you. But making a commitment to, lo- to live with your mind, focused on the Lord and fulfilling his plan for your life are well worth it. As you do this, God will change you in good ways. Romans 8 and 28 says, And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Changing could mean leaving your old life behind completely. Are you trying to please people? Focus on the Lord. Building a relationship with God begins with spending time reading the Bible and in prayer. Here are some suggested scriptures to encourage you in this process. Joshua 1 and 8. 
Philippians 4 and 9. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. John 3, 16. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Psalms 145, 18 through 19. As you read the Bible, you'll find more scriptures that speak to your heart and provide guidance and comfort. Talk to the Lord just like you would a close friend. He will strengthen you as you listen and obey his still, small voice. Believe God. You are his child and he loves you. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 makes this clear, stating, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgression. It is by his grace you have been saved. Celebrating this new step of repentance that you're taking. He has built you to endure and prosper in every area of your life. As you follow the steps of divine victory outlined in this book, you'll develop your faith and trust in God. Hey guys, chapter two was repentance and it really blessed me into adding some things into my everyday life of, you know, speaking of those things where I knew I was wrong and asking God to release it, release my guilt, release my shame from things. Um, I recently had an episode with my grandfather and, um, you know, I, I'm sending a spiritual, intentional apology to him. But, you know, otherwise, I can't, I can no longer put myself in those type of environments. And I'll, I'll talk about these things on the side of my podcast of how, you know, they bless me. I love to talk about personal things in my life. I don't mind talking about it. I don't mind sharing. I have no, no guilt. I have no shame in myself. We're about to get into chapter three, which is submission. I'm relaxing in the tub. <laughs> chapter three, submission. Often when we talk about submission in everyday terms, the meaning is associated with giving up our rights or ability to think for ourselves. Submit means to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or, or will of another person. From that perspective, allowing someone to con have control over you isn't appealing. But submission, when we refer to God, brings about a joyful exchange. As you begin to seek the Lord in prayer and obey what he tells you to do, stress-filled, sleepless nights fade away. In place of fear and dread, you experience a knowledge that God has your back. There is a sense of stability and peace. You don't have the answers to all of life's struggles, but you know the one who does, the Lord God. James 4 and 7 says, Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Remember, God created you to be in a relationship with him. That is why there's a place in your heart and soul only he can satisfy. Submitting your will to God's will is the only way to walk in divine victory. Submission doesn't come naturally to us. God has given us free will. 
We want what we want when we want it. That's the sin nature. That came into the world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. Three desires led us to sin. John explains them in 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17, which says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. John is saying that lust or love and pursuit of sex, wealth, and power leads to all type of sins, from adultery to stealing and killing. Whatever you lust after, whether it's drugs, alcohol, a mate, a job, or material possessions, you focus all of your attention on that goal. God wants you to let go of your own selfish ambitions and pursue him with all your heart. God knows you need money and have desires. He will meet the desires that are consistent with his word when you submit to his will and obey him. What you think is best for you might be keeping you mentally or physically sick. When you make the Lord first in your life, he takes care of all the circumstances you face. Jesus promises us in Matthew 6 verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Anyone or anything that is more important to you than God is an idol. Money was my idol because I wanted to take care of my children and I wanted nice things. I couldn't count on the father to take care of us some 30 years ago because he was a drug addict at the time. God blessed me to open a hair salon and I did well financially. I took my children on trips. I could buy them what we needed and wanted, but the money couldn't replace what was missing in my life. I felt guilt and shame. Money couldn't remove sin or its consequences. God was calling me just like he's calling you now. I confessed my sins, which included being in, a, in an adulterous relationship, and submitted my life to the Lord. He has graciously forgiven me and my husband and blessed our family and ministry. The Israelites who worshipped idols, some of them were images made out of gold and silver. God's word tells us in Exodus 20 and 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Examine your heart. Think about what or whom you devote your time to. Those habits, people, or objects you hold on to might be keeping you from submitting to God. The Lord is standing by waiting for you to ask him for his help, for guidance and wisdom. In Psalm 32 and 8, God promises, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. You can be confident that God will never leave you and wants the best for you. Humility must replace pride on your journey. That might mean apologizing even when you know you're not wrong or letting someone else take the lead in a situation in which you'd rather be in control. Humility is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. You don't have to brag about yourself. What you own 
or even have the last word in every situation. Strength is standing for what is right and putting the needs of others ahead of your own. Pride keeps you focused on yourself, not accepting responsibility for mistakes and making excuses for bad behavior. When you humble yourself before the Lord, you're acknowledging God Almighty as the head of your life. As you submit your will to his, there is an awakening that happens inside of you. The Holy Spirit has your attention because you are putting yourself in position to hear from God. Submission cuts through the clutter in your mind and you can hear his voice. Listen and obey the Lord as he begins the life-giving process of changing you from the inside out. The Apostle Peter urged the early Christians to give their words to God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he, because he cares for you. 1 Peter chapter 5, 6, and 7. Submission may cause you to feel some fear and doubt. God knows you and understands your struggles. He will encourage you and calm your fears when you place your trust in him. Confronting fear is one of the steps to divine victory. I'll talk more about that in another chapter. In the Bible, when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and they prepared to enter enter the promised land, Moses explained he wasn't going with them into Canaan. The Israelites had to fight to take the territory God promised them. The Lord told Moses to tell Joshua, his second in command, to take over. Moses shared God's encouraging words with the people before he died. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God also told Joshua over and over again as he stepped into the massive road of leading the Israelites that he had nothing to fear. God is with him. God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Joshua 1 and 6. That's God's word to you too. That's God's word to you too. When you submit to the Lord and you are obedient, he fights your battles and you win. Every battle the Israelites fought doing it God's way, they won. No matter what it might look like with your natural eyes, God is orchestrating the outcome in your favor. Believe God to help you live a victorious life. You'll find that the more you humble yourself before him in prayer, the more you experience his favor and guidance in your life. God's favor provides blessings you don't work to earn. His outpouring of kindness and generosity are yours because you belong to him. The Holy Spirit opens your spiritual eyes to a new way of seeing yourself in the world. Your priorities change. You are not a victim but a victor through Jesus Christ who died for your sins. Other people no longer define who you are. Romans 1 and 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. When you seek the Lord with a humble heart and submit to his will, the devil and his evil spirits have no power over you. Jesus himself said, he is far greater than our enemy. You dear children, you are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. If you know you struggle with pride, tell the Lord. He knows anyway. Whatever you're feeling, share it with him. The Holy Spirit within you prays 
when you don't know what to say. According to the Apostle Paul, who said, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches for our hearts know the minds of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Romans 8, 26-27 Any relationship takes time and attention to develop. Your relationship with the Lord is no different, and it's the most important one in your life now and in eternity. You'll grow in understanding God and receive new insight as you read the Bible and worship the Lord. Worshiping God and giving thanks to God is an act of submission that honors and glorifies Him. I love it, baby. Go ahead. I'm almost done. you? Thank you. Okay. You'll grow and understand God and receive new insight as you read the Bible and worship the Lord. Thank you. Worshiping God and giving thanks to God is an act of submission that honors and glorifies him. Ask the Lord to lead you to a Bible teaching church where you can be mentored. Not all churches are the same. God has given churches different ministries and priorities. Sometimes we attend churches out of tradition or because family members worship at a particular church. But that ministry might not be where God wants you to be right now. Once you find that place of worship, he's earmarked for you. Get involved in a ministry there. The Lord will bless you and use you to help others as you walk in divine victory. That was amazing. This chapter, chapter four, is called Forgiveness. Chapter three was Submission. Go back and listen if you haven't. The book title is 12 Steps to Divine Victory. Forgiveness. Stop here for a moment and take a deep breath. Look at, how, look at how far you've come. You've confessed your sins, repented, and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're walking into submission to God, praying and reading the Bible. You found a church or your visiting churches to find the one that God speaks to your heart to join. You are on the way to your God-ordained destiny. You may have had to let go some go of some acquaintances, friends, or family members. People might be angry with you for taking these steps or trying to encourage you to return to old habits. Don't go back down that path. Remember what it was like, how you felt, the hurt and pain that devastated you. God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Think about Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and the future. Day by day, the Lord is transforming you as you spend time with him. Through submission, you're humbling yourself before the Lord and becoming teachable. Through your obedience and commitment to serve, he is bringing you to a place of wholeness and contentment. An essential step going forward in your journey now is forgiveness. The thought of forgiving someone can unleash emotions you would rather not face. You might be thinking, I can't forget what he or she did to me. 
I said I'd never forgive them for all for the things they've done. I just can't get over what happened. The disappointment, the deep hurt you feel when you think about the situations situations you've suffered might make you want to say no way or I want to but I just can't. I'm not suggesting you deny those feelings. You're not a robot. Those emotions are real and understandable. When someone has spewed hateful words at you or left you when you needed them or physically or mentally abused you, it is incredibly painful. Whatever the circumstances are in our carnal mind, meaning our flesh, we find ways to minimize those emotions. For example, you might tell yourself, if I don't talk about it, try to ignore the problem, I can move on with my life. But if someone says something that reminds you of that experience or person, you may blow up at the mention or of his or her name. The anguish isn't gone. It's still there. Wow, that's something I need help with. <sighs> Maybe numbing the pain with drugs and alcohol worked for a while, but substance abuse can't permanently relieve disappointment, shame, or any other feelings you've, you're struggling to overcome. Addiction compounds the problem because now you're focused on staying high and that costs money. Chasing a high leads to lying, stealing, robbing, prostitution, killing, and other behaviors that can take you down a path towards destruction. There are many ways we try to suppress what we feel, and none of them ever provides real joy and peace. God wants you to be free. That means facing those feelings and forgiving the people who have let you down. The benefits of forgiveness cannot be overstated. How can you be at peace or have real joy when you're wrestling with emotions like hatred, feeling, feelings of rejection, bitterness, jealousy, or guilt? Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose from the grave so you can live a life of abundance. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Your relationship with God brings about the attributes in Galatians 5 and 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You cannot deny you're in agony. Hide from those aching wounds and think it's going to get better. Forgiveness is like taking the scab off. The fresh air of God's peace brings light to the area and like a balm heals the wounded places. An unwillingness to forgive keeps you in bondage to the same people and circumstances that cause you so much distress. That's the devil's goal. To keep you struggling in your own mind to cope with the challenges you face or to throw up your hands and say, I don't care anymore. The result is you never fulfill God's plan for your life. You don't experience the freedom that comes with releasing all those pent up emotions. As alone as you may feel, scripture says in Ecclesiastes 1 and 9, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. There are other people who have been where you were. Some are where you are right now. The devil, who in the Bible is called the father of lies, will remind you of everything that is wrong in your life 
and help you play that tape over and over in your mind. That's why the battle takes place for your soul in your mind. Don't take the bait. Wow. Forgiveness is a part of taking back what the devil has stolen. Your peace, your joy, your self-esteem, your hopes, and your dreams. God has already told us in Isaiah 54 and 17 that we are victors over Satan's schemes. No weapon formed against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Your heritage is your birthright. The Bible teaches that we are the almighty children of God. We are the children of almighty God. Excuse me. We are winners in life's challenges. There will be delays and setbacks. Situations might look very bleak. God, however, promises that no plot or plan against you will ultimately succeed. God fights your battles and he will work everything out for your good. 1 Corinthians 15 and 57 says, But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You might have to scream, cry, and run to the altar. That's okay. Ask God to give you the courage to face the situation head on. Go to the person who hurt you. Are you hurt if it's safe to do so and clear the air? Sometimes it's not possible to speak to the people you need to talk to. If they, if they are deceased and you don't know where they are, write a letter to them expressing your desire for forgiveness or saying that you forgive them. Read it to yourself and then throw it away. Through that process of closure, you are releasing what happened and putting it behind you. God isn't asking you to do something he hasn't done. Jesus is our example. He was followed by many because he cast out demons, healed the sick, and fed the hungry. His teachings about love and putting others before ourselves and about giving tells us how to live. Be a blessing and enjoy God's favor. Despite all his, action, his acts of kindness, Jesus was still ridiculed and despised by the leaders of his day because he spoke out against their love of money and power. They claimed to love God, but Jesus called them hypocrites. They loved being seen in their long robes, sitting amongst the elite, and enjoying their riches rather than truly serving the people. The Pharisees plotted to kill Jesus and finally had their way. They gave Judas, one of the twelve disciples, thirty pieces of silver to lead them to Jesus one night. Peter, James, and John were the Jesus were with Jesus while he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane. Earlier at dinner, called the Last Supper, Jesus told Peter he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed twice. Peter adamantly said he'd never deny him. But after the Roman soldiers took Jesus away, Peter did deny him three times, just, had, just as it had been foretold. Peter realized what Jesus said was true, and he broke down and cried. We know Jesus forgave him, and the disciple forgave himself. Peter went on to help found the first Christian church. He preached a sermon on the Pentecost written about the second chapter of the book of Acts, during which the Holy Spirit came upon worshipers who began speaking in tongues for the first time. Some 3,000 people joined the church. 
right before Jesus was crucified, he was mocked, called names, spit upon, and brutally whipped. After soldiers nailed him to the cross, he hung there, still breathing. It says in Luke 23, verses 34, that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. They couldn't wait until Jesus took his last breath to gamble for his garments. Yet Jesus was the ultimate model of love and forgiveness. He came to earth to pay the penalty for our sins and be an example of how to live on earth despite the devil's schemes. If he had not died on the cross for our sins, we would have not we would have we would not have his wonderful promises which include forgiveness and eternal life you can come before god any time of the night or day and ask him to forgive your mistakes god is so gracious and loving to you how can you withhold that same grace and love to another matthew 6:14 says for if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you Yes, you might want that person to pay what they for what they did. But God says in Deuteronomy 32 and 35, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. Let God be the judge and jury. Go on with your life. He's got you. You do not have to live bearing the weight of your sins or anyone else's. Doctors have found that the negative emotions such as anger, fear, and anxiety or being critical and insecure can make you physically ill. Have you ever gotten mad and your head starts hurting? God designed you to live in union with him. He'll protect your mind and body from the impact of negative emotions when you make the decision to forgive. Notice I say when you make the decision to forgive. It's a choice and you have to do it intentionally. Living day after day battling hurt feelings or wallowing in them can affect your immune system and lead to chronic diseases like high blood pressure, diabetes, and heart disease. Let's look at anger's impact on the body for a moment. Researchers in the National Forum Journal of Counseling and Addiction wrote an article in 2013 about the effects of anger on the brain and body. The journal said the average heart rate of a person is 80 beats per minute. However, anger can make our heart rate rise to 180 beats per minute. Anger has the same effects on our blood pressure. Experiencing anger can cause an average blood pressure of 120 over 80 to jump to 220 over 130 or higher, possibly causing a heart attack or stroke. People who are constantly angry have a higher risk of suffering a heart attack or stroke. When we become angry or stressed, our body releases chemicals that clot the blood. These blood clots can create serious health problems. The clots can travel up the blood vessels to the brain or heart, causing a stroke or heart attack, both which can be fatal. Researchers say anger can also motivate you to get out of an abusive relationship or to fight against injustices. But here I am talking about the lasting effects negative emotions can have on your health. When you forgive, you're allowing God to restore your mind, heart, and body. And you can move forward untied and untangled from reliving the past. The Lord wants you to become more and more like him. You might be disappointed at how some people have treated you,
But God has given you the power to take control of your emotions and overcome every circumstance that comes your way. You're not alone. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. The Holy Spirit is your comforter and guide. Earlier, I mentioned that Peter forgave himself for denying Jesus three times. Forgiving yourself, excuse me, I keep yawning. Forgiving yourself for what you did or didn't do is important. When I first accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, among the sins that I was most ashamed of was getting involved with a married man and having children with him. I had to grapple with knowing I caused my husband's ex-wife so much pain. I could only imagine what we put her through. She didn't deserve to be mistreated and disrespected. I cried out to God for forgiveness. I wept, prayed, and humbled myself before the Lord. He assured me of his forgiveness. Proverbs 28 and 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. The Holy Spirit helped me to forgive myself. My husband's ex-wife has since passed away. My regret is that I did not meet with her face to face to ask for her forgiveness. But I had to stop beating myself up. I asked God to heal me of that regret, and he has. God freely offers us mercy and grace, which is his unmerited favor when we forgive. Forgiveness builds endurance, and God elevates your thinking. You don't have to run and hide from anyone or anything. As you humble yourself before God and forgive others, he empowers you to move beyond any perceived limitation you think you have. The word says in Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all this through him who strengthens me. Forgiveness builds your character and boosts your tolerance to withstand what comes at you. The devil will continue to try and keep you offended or feeling condemned. Romans 8 verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Trust the Lord. Remember you have the God of the universe on your side, commanding his angels to watch over you. Isaiah 41 and 10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. You will find that the situations that once upset you won't have the same effect on you anymore. You will be able to forgive people and keep stepping towards your divine victory. When you follow this step, the Holy Spirit will mend your heart so you can genuinely give and receive. Love has the power to heal and restore what you've lost it is another step you will read more about as you continue this journey but right now i want you to focus on forgiveness so you can be open and willing to love god's people that was so amazing prophetess gwendolyn richardson wow chapter five is preparation when you think about preparation i want you to think about ants Yes, ants. Ants are hardworking. They focus on being prepared. Ants spend the summer collecting food. Think about it. You don't see idle ants. These persistent creatures don't stand around wondering where their next meal is coming from. 
if you put your foot on in front of ants, they'll crawl around it or on it. But they are not going to stop moving forward toward their goal. There are life lessons to be learned from ants. Proverbs 6, 8 talks about this insect. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. God created the ant among other things. To turn the soil so water and oxygen can reach plant roots. When ants prepare and store food, they are giving life to other organisms. The same is true of you. When you learn prepares, what you learn prepares you to thrive. As you grow, you'll be a source of light inspiring others. Preparation takes place in several different ways. First and foremost, preparation requires spending time with the Lord. God must become your first priority. How can you know what God is calling you to do or how to handle a task unless you spend time with him, listening for his directions? Hosea 4 and 6 warns against not investing in yourself through study and preparation. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Devote time daily to prayer and reading God's word. Delight in praising and worshiping the Lord with other believers. Get involved in a ministry in the church you attend. You aren't in your church to be a spectator, but to be a servant. First Peter 4 and 10 talks about the role of a believer. Each of you should use whatever gift you received, you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, don't sit on the sidelines watching others do the work. Or be afraid to commit some time to an activity or project. Remember, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You are changing from the inside out. Think about what you can do to contribute to the work of the church. When you spend time in prayer, tell the Lord the truth about whatever you're dealing with. He has the answer. God just needs your cooperation, which is your faith. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You'll read more about faith when we come to step eight. Hmm, I can't wait to get there. Make a practice of following the principles you read in the Bible. Such as treating, the pe treating people the way you want to be treated. Be conscious of your attitude. Avoid complaining, backbiting, and gossip. God wants you to be thankful despite your circumstances. Philippians 4 and 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
When you do this, your mind and heart are in the position to hear from the Lord. Think greatness. Think about greatness is what it's trying to tell us. Think positive. Think about miracles, happiness, what will keep you going happy, you know. The Lord wants you to trust him to handle your affairs. As you do this, he will honor your obedience. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Use a Bible coordinates, concordance to look up scriptures that speak to your situation to strengthen you. For instance, look up purpose and read scriptures that address the issue. The Bible is your guide for living. As is stated in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. When you find those scriptures, write them down. Commit them to memory so you can refer to them when you need to encourage yourself. When you're quiet, reading and meditating on the word of God, he reveals himself to you, giving you a deeper understanding of who he is. In Matthew 6 and 9, God is called our father. A father loves his children, provides for them and teaches them principles for living. A father disciplines his children and protects them. Psalm 23 refers to the Lord as our shepherd. A shepherd herds his, his sheep. He keeps a watchful eye out for wolves lurking nearby to kill them. A shepherd guides his sheep to food, water, and safety. Many names describe who God is. He's your healer, provider, and your peace. As you spend time with him, he will reassure you, and the Holy Spirit will open your heart and mind to hear God's voice. There will be a knowing in your heart or someone will say something to you that confirms what the Lord is leading you to do. As you develop your prayer and spiritual life, think about the knowledge and skills you need for the work God is calling you to do. He's giving you dreams and desires. God wants to place you in a strategic place to be a light. Matthew 5 and 16 says to me, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He is not going to lay out a full road map for you. God will reveal his plan step by step to see if you trust him and will look to him for guidance. That's why it's so important that when you pray and read the Bible, you don't jump up when you're done. Fellowshipping with God is a two-way relationship. Sit and meditate on what the Lord is saying in those scriptures. And ask him to show you what he wants you to do and how to do it. You might want to be a computer analyst. Find out what training you need to do the work in the field and begin moving in that direction. You'd like to be a business owner? Seek advice from successful Christian business owners who can help you. Have you graduated from high school? Do you have your GED? You might love helping people and know you're called to the medical field. But are you enrolled in medical school, nursing school, or whatever specialty you are led to pursue? 
sitting and hoping it will happen does not produce results. Preparing yourself to take advantage of the doors when God opens them is the key to achieving success. Wow, I needed that. Look into attending college, finding apprenticeships, internships, or training opportunities. God's desire for you is for you to excel at what he's called you to do. And he promises to help you through the process. Think about Colossians 3 and 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a world. As a reward. So whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. They say God is the ultimate payer, baby. The goal might seem impossible, but that's what God specializes in. Doing what you think is impossible. The Lord is able to create paths for you you would never thought would appear. Here what Re- here's what Revelations 3 and 8 says about open doors. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before an open door that no one can shut. Hold on. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Let me give you an example. It was the last day to apply for cosmetology school when I decided to register. I had three children and I was on welfare. I didn't have regular financial support from their father. A dear woman I knew agreed to keep my kids while I went to school. She charged me only $35 a week. I didn't always have the money to pay that, but she still kept my children so I could complete the program. That is so amazing. They really don't make people like that no more. (laughs) I didn't always have money to pay that, but she kept my children so I could complete the program. God opened the door for me to go to cosmetology school at the last minute. And despite my not having money for childcare, God placed a woman in my life to help me. Take the first step and trust God to help you the rest of the way. That's what walking in divine victory is all about. Trusting God to guide you and open doors to your destiny. You might not know what God's calling you to do at this point. That's okay. As you seek the Lord, he will speak to your heart and reveal the path he wants you to take in his own timing. When Jesus invited the 12 disciples to follow him, some left their jobs and families to travel countryside. They didn't know what lay ahead when they took that step. Through teachings, parables, miracles, and sermons, Jesus prepared them to take the gospel around the world. Be patient. Every prayer, every step of obedience is moving you forward. God is transforming you even if you don't feel like he is. Feelings can actually hinder your progress. I am truly getting teary out here because this is life. This is real. If you ain't believing in God, I don't know what you're believing in. Wow, wow, wow. You have to press through negative emotions and concentrate on who God says you are through Jesus Christ. Romans 8 and 37 says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. Deuteronomy talks about the blessings of obedience in eight in chapter eight, verses one through 14. Verse six says, you'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. We're blessed in the city. We're blessed in the field. We're blessed when we come and when we go. We cast down every strong hope. <laughs> blessed. Verse 6 says, and this is in Deuteronomy, you will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out and you better believe it. These are God's promises for you when you seek and obey him. You'll find plenty of God's promises as you read his word. You might not realize it, but your preparation has already begun. God is using your experiences, the good and the bad, to mature you. The book of Exodus tells the story of Moses. God used him to deliver the Israelites out of slavery into the promised land. The Pharaoh of Egypt used the Israelites, called he also called Hebrews, as slaves for his building projects. God blessed the Hebrews to multiply, and Pharaoh filled, feared that they would one day outnumber the Egyptians. So he ordered all the male babies be killed by throwing them into the Nile River. Moses' mother put her son in a basket along the bank of the Nile where Pharaoh's daughter bathed. She found the basket and felt sorry for the child. While all of this was happening, Moses' sister Miriam was watching from the riverbank. When Miriam saw Pharaoh's daughter with the basket, she ran to her. Miriam asked her if she wanted a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby. Pharaoh's daughter agreed. Unbeknownst to the woman, Miriam brought their mother to her. Pharaoh's daughter paid Moses' mother to nurse him until he grew older. Then his mother gave the child to Pharaoh's daughter to raise as her son. Moses grew up with all the advantages and privileges of being part of the royal family. He had the best of everything, including education. But he knew he was a Hebrew, and he didn't like how his people were being treated. One day, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. He checked to see if anyone was around. Then he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting and Moses tried to stop them. The man who caused the fight said to Moses, are you going to kill me like you did the other guy? Moses realized someone saw him kill the Egyptian. Pharaoh found out about it and tried to kill Moses. So Moses fled to Midian. God had a plan for Moses' life before he was born. Everything he went through was part of his preparation for the enormous job of leading the Hebrews out of slavery. But the route to his destiny wasn't predictable. Despite the king's command to kill all baby boys, Moses survived. Not only did he survive, but he was raised as a part of the royal family. Moses became an outcast, a criminal, when he took the law into his own hands and killed a man. He had all the material riches his heart desired. But those things weren't enough to keep him from ignoring the brutal treatment of his people. Of course, that was no excuse to kill the man, but it clearly destroyed his ties to Pharaoh and he had to run for his life. Moses went to Medean where he stayed for 40 years and got married. During that time, the king of Egypt died. God heard the Hebrew cries for deliverance from bondage.
An angel of the Lord told Moses through a fire of through a fire in a burning bush, God wanted him to deliver his people from slavery. You might think Moses would jump at the chance, but instead he asked God, why would the king listen to him? He even told God he couldn't, he couldn't do it because he didn't speak well and to get someone else. But Moses rose to the challenge. He was educated in ways of the Egyptian and he knew the protocol to go before the Pharaoh. He followed the Lord's instructions step by step through a series of plagues. God used Moses to deliver the Hebrews out of bondage. God specializes in new beginnings. He's preparing you to be bold, fearless, and unmovable in him. Be patient with yourself. There are no shortcuts along this journey. Preparation is the result of commitment, time, and endurance. What it looks like now is only temporary. You are entering a new lifestyle, and the hardest part is getting started. Here's what Isaiah 40 and 31 says about putting your hope into God to prepare you forward. propel you forward. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Once an eagle comes into alignment with the wind, he begins to soar. Preparation instills understanding and wisdom. Whatever the goal or mission, you have a responsibility to position yourself to be ready. Be encouraged. It can be easy to look at what you're facing and think it will never change. But with God, all things are possible. The Lord is with you in the storms of life, and he will bless you for trusting him. God is your source for everything, and he is always with you. Hebrews 13 and 5 says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. It's rewarding when you know you are following God's instructions and see you see doors open. People changed and circumstances altered. He's doing that for you. Don't forget to celebrate every step along the way and pause for a moment as you experience the mighty hand of the Lord molding you to fulfill his purpose for your life. Wow. Amazing. Hey guys. We are on chapter six. Yay. That means we're halfway through. This chapter is called Waiting. When you were a child, did anyone ever call you out as you were headed towards the street saying, Wait, don't run out into the road. Cars are coming. They might have even grabbed you by the arm to save you, clearly angry that you were impatient and literally moving closer and closer towards danger and even death. Children are prone to take off running before you can catch them. What about the situations you might have rushed into, thinking the circumstances were going to take you where you wanted to go, only to be hit by disappointment, blindsided by the outcome? After the fallout, you might have even said to yourself, I should have waited. I was in too big of a hurry. You can travel many places, and if you know the back routes to your destination, you can get there quicker. But when it comes to taking steps towards your divine victory, there is no shortcut. The cake taken out of the oven too soon sinks in the middle because it isn't cooked all the way through. A medical complication arises when the doctor recommends two weeks of bed rest, but the patient ignores the instructions. The glue used to repair a broken item will not hold it together unless it is left alone to dry for a set time. 
Learning to wait is a principle you can't avoid. It is required for healing, proper growth and development, and to make a useful finished product. You are God's workmanship made in his likeness. He created you and he gave you gifts to help others and glorify him. Waiting is a necessary part of fulfilling his purpose for your life. Lamentations 3 and 25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. That's a wonderful promise from the Lord. But as we all know, waiting doesn't always feel good. Often waiting irritates us, whether it's in a grocery store line, at a restaurant, or at the hospital seeking the results of a test. But it is only through waiting that you learn patience and endurance. You learn to trust the Lord despite what your situation might look like or how it might make you feel. Feelings can be deceptive. The devil uses emotions to make you react first and think later. Often between the reacting and thinking, mistakes are made and damage is done. The test of waiting is to move beyond your feelings, to rest in God's assurance that he is with you and working the situation out for your good. Psalms 103 and 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Waiting isn't passive. It doesn't mean you aren't doing anything. That's where hope comes in. You wait, expecting God to change your situation. While you wait, remember, preparation is still taking place. You're not sitting around hoping for someone else to change your life. You are actively engaged with God in this process. As you are, seek the Lord in prayer, study his word, and prepare yourself for opportunities. The Lord is moving on your behalf. I believe that. Oh, yes, I do. Can y'all say I believe that? That's not part of the book. I say this often. He's changing you from the inside out. Your priorities begin to change. What used to get on your nerves doesn't bother you. You are focused on what God is doing in your life. In the midst of challenges, you recognize God's, God's got this, and he's built you to take this on. Don't forget Joshua 1 and 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You're not alone. The Lord will put people in your life at strategic points to help you. In Psalm 62, 5-6, David writes about resting in God's assurance. God directed Samuel to anoint David as king when he was young. At least 10 years passed before he actually sat on the throne. During some of those years, David was running for his life. King Saul was jealous of David because he knew he was anointed to be king. He relentlessly pursued David to kill him. David said, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Psalms 62 and 2. David was completely focused on God as the source of his strength and protection. In every circumstance, he cried out to God and saw the Lord spare his life and the men who were under his command. Notice David's description of the Lord. God is my rock and salvation. A rock is sturdy, solid, and doesn't shift. David had a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. Once a sheep herder and now a warrior, he learned 
through each challenge he faced to rely on God. David called the Lord his fortress. A fortress is a military stronghold, heavily protected and impenetrable. That means the Lord was the strong and solid foundation. David looked to and leaned on without hesitation or fear. That is God's word to you too right now. Whether it is 10 days, 10 months, or 10 years, the Lord is orchestrating his plan for your life. God uses the step of waiting to teach you to wait with expectancy. Even though it might look like nothing is happening, continue to seek him. You really have to want to want God to change your life and partner with him in this process. Even though some doors may close, some trusted friends may disappear, your finances might be shaky. God is bringing you to a place of submission and trust in him and him alone. God wants you to walk in lockstep with him. You can only do that as you become sensitive to his voice and obedient to his directions. Expect the Lord to deal with your habits and attitudes, such as jealousy, backbiting, and anger, so you can be real with yourself and others. God wants to remove your survival mode mentality. Trying to make it has left you exhausted. Suffering with hate and unforgiveness. Nursing those emotions only produces more of the same. God is infinite. God in his infinite wisdom knows that what it will take to bring about the change he desires in you. There is no prescribed time. In your time of waiting, you also gain knowledge and wisdom. Focus on God's word and his promises to you. Every promise in the Bible is for you. When I was hoping and praying for my husband to stop using drugs and drinking, I learned to lean on the Lord. There were tears, frustration, and doubt. It was seven or eight years after I began seeing my husband before his transformation began. In those years of pain when I left him and he found us, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. But I did know God didn't plan for me and my children to continue in the situation we were in. He opened doors for me through the salon. The Lord blessed me to buy an inexpensive car I could afford to pay cash for and get around. The steps forward were small ones at times. Sometimes I wasn't sure anything was happening, but God was changing my husband from the inside out. Slowly, he became more and more committed to seeking the Lord. He'd come to the salon and watch me work so he wouldn't be tempted to go somewhere he shouldn't go and end up using drugs again. I admit I wanted him to change completely overnight. But in most instances, God takes us the long way so he can develop the attributes in us that we will need to serve him like patience, joy, and long-suffering. No one wants to suffer. But often what God has allowed you to suffer in turns out to be the ministry he's preparing you for. Who better to know how a person feels than someone who has gone through the same fiery trial and survived? Now my husband is a loving father and husband anointed. Set apart by God to be a minister of the gospel. The Lord knew what it would take to turn the Apostle Paul into a champion for the church and the writer of much of the New Testament. Paul, who was initially referred to as Saul, 
was a Pharisee and scholar who observed traditional Jewish laws. He went around the countryside imprisoning and killing followers of Jesus. Paul approved of the stoning of Stephen, a disciple of Christ. He thought he was doing the right thing. His conversion is written about in Acts 9. In verses 1 through 6, as Saul was on his way with his men to persecute more Christians, a light flashed around him from heaven on the Damascus Road. God said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul asked, who are you, Lord? God responded, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. God blinded him and directed Saul to go to Damascus. Saul obeyed. While he was in Damascus, something like scales fell off his eyes. Eventually, he ended up fleeing to his hometown of Tarsus because of death threats. Theologians estimate he spent five to eight years in Tarsus before beginning his ministry to establish churches. Saul had to study scriptures, commune with the Lord, and obey the instructions while he waited to mature in the ways of God. The Lord was preparing Saul for his ministry. The passage of time allowed the leaders in the early church to watch him and confirm his conversion was real. Many feared Saul because of his brutality towards believers. Later in Acts 13 and 9, Saul is called Paul. God's desire for you is God's desire is for you to reflect his image in your heart. First Samuel 16 says, 16 and 7 says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What is the image of God? The Lord is light and love. Galatians 5 and 22 describes the attributes of God who is a spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. You might think you have these characteristics already, but God knows your innermost thoughts. He knows the experiences that have shaped your life. The Lord sees those areas in your heart that remain closed off. Those attitudes and emotions you might not even realize reside in your heart. God is removing them little by little. Think about the times people have said something to you and without hesitation you snapped at them. Not realizing the issue they raised could trigger that kind of reaction from you. You cannot be who God called you to be and do the work. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's he, he's called you to do while carrying around a suitcase filled with past hurts and regrets. You are called to become, be an overcomer. Romans 8 and 37 says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Don't get discouraged again. Again, waiting is a part of the process. Will you trust God despite how it feels or how it looks to you or others? That's what God seeks in you, a willingness to wait and have faith. He is working everything out for your good. In chapter 40, 
verse 31 of Isaiah, the prophet describes the transformation that takes place when you wait with hope. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What an awesome promise from God. He tells you that there are blessings when you wait on him. In the Old Testament, Genesis 37 through the end of the book focuses on the dramatic story of Joseph. He endured cruelty and years of waiting. Despite it all, he wasn't bitter, but remained hardworking and hopeful. Eventually, he became the second most powerful man in Egypt. His story begins in Genesis 37, verse 1, when he was 17 years old. His brothers were jealous of him because he was his father's favorite son. They threw him into a pit and he sold him to a caravan of merchants. That's like slavery. His brothers told their father that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. The merchant sold Joseph to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials in Egypt. Joseph worked hard and soon was Potiphar's attendant and had the run of the palace. But in Genesis 39, verse 11 through 19, we see that he was thrown into prison after Potiphar's wife accused him of attacking, of attacking her. She was mad because he refused to sleep with her. So she lied on him. Joseph had the gift of administration and could interpret dreams. While in prison, he continued to work hard for two years, waiting, hoping his plight would change. One day he was called upon to interpret Pharaoh's dream after the magicians couldn't figure it out. Joseph told Pharaoh there would be seven years of plenty and warned him that there would be seven, a severe famine. What is that? Severe famine. Okay, hold on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Joseph told Pharaoh there would be seven years of plenty and warned him there would be a severe famine after that. Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph, Joseph's wisdom and insight, he put him in charge of the land to prepare for the years of the famine. By this time, about 13 years had passed and Joseph was 30 years old. When the famine came, it was Joseph who had a plan in place that provided plenty of food for the Egyptians. The famine... Am I even saying this right? Famine? Famine? <laughs> Led his brothers to travel to Egypt to buy food. Ultimately, Joseph forgave them for their evil deed, was reunited with his father, and moved the entire family to Egypt. God put Joseph in a position of authority that saved the lives of his family as well as the Egyptians. Keep in mind that God uses our waiting to weed out unbelief. Wow. You need positive, like-minded people around you. Avoid those who don't understand because they'll pull you back into your old way of thinking. This is new to you. It will feel uncomfortable, but Ephesians 4, 6 through 8 is your guide to encourage you through those moments. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You are growing in your faith and your ability to hear from God. It doesn't matter how old you are. Don't beat yourself up. Rest in the Lord's assurance that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's got you. Don't move until he tells you to. God has you in a place of waiting for a reason. Be joyful and thankful. That's the will of God's express. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8, which says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is a time where miracles can and do happen. Even though you might not completely understand, don't short-circuit the process. God isn't going to explain everything to you. Again, that's where trust comes in. Trust is another step you'll learn more about a little later in the book. Stay focused on God and his word. The Lord will keep you on track as you move along the path toward divine victory in him. Chapter 7 of the 12 Steps to Divine Victory by Prophetess Gwendolyn Richardson Confront Fear Warning Fear will try to stop you in your tracks as you move forward in your walk with God. You are not where you started, you're, and you're not where God is ultimately taking you. The devil will have you questioning God, trying to rush the Lord, or taking an alternate route to satisfy what you believe he's calling you to do. Regardless of what you think or how you feel, you are growing day by day through prayer praising, and worshiping the Lord. He's giving you more insight and more revelation, no, no, more, yeah, more revelation knowledge about who you are in him. God is light and he is love. The Bible says you are made in his likeness. Genesis 27 and 1 spells this out. So God created mankind in his own image. That means you're God's light in the world, as is stated in Matthew 5 and 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. As you grow, the Lord wants you to become more and more like him in your character. His goal is to use your life the good, the bad, and the ugly as a beacon of light and hope for others on this divine journey. Ooh, I gotta repeat that. His goal is to use your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly as a beacon of light and hope for others on this divine journey. That's why God pulls back the curtain of your past and the experiences that have shaped your attitudes little by little to expose what's really in your heart. Matthew 15, 18 says that the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. Listen to the words you use. Are you expressing doubt and fear? If so, it's time to confront those emotions. 
Fear is a part of God is a part of darkness. The Bible says fear has torment, but God's love casts out fear. There is a laundry list of fears. For example, there's fear of rejection, fear of being alone, fear of the unknown, fear of losing your job, fear of being ill, fear of the past, <laughs> fear of the past, or fear of making a mistake. Fear is defined in Webster's Dictionary as an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. The devil uses fear to put a wedge between you and God, like the fear of change, of success, or stepping out in faith when God tells you to do something. Fear acts as a veil that covers your eyes, your ears, and distorts your ability to see and hear God. How can you have a relationship with the Lord when fear is standing in the way? That fear shows you really don't trust God to help and sustain you in every area of your life. When you fret and worry, the devil knows you're likely to speak words that express doubt and unbelief. That's one of his strategies to keep you immobilized. If the devil can keep you in a state of fear, he's zapped your energy and your motivation to go all in with God. This becomes a vicious cycle. For example, when you say, I can't do it, your words are expressing what you think in your mind about a situation. Now your behavior is going to reflect what you've said to reinforce what you think. Your words create an atmosphere in your mind, body, and emotions that support what you're saying. That's not God's best for you. He's called you to be an overcomer, to see the obstacles, and trust him to give you the wisdom to rise above. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. God will orchestrate your success in reaching his goals for you as you seek him. The story of Gideon shows how God can transform someone consumed with fear into a victorious leader. In the book of Judges, chapter 6 through 8, God called Gideon to help his people who were being oppressed by the Midianites. The Lord allowed the Israelites to be tormented by invading armies for seven years because they worshipped other gods. The Midianites would invade their territory and destroy their crops and homes. So the Israelites lived in caves to hide and protect what they had left. They cried out to God for help. The angel of the Lord, God's messenger, came to Gideon and said in Judges 6 and 12, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Gideon didn't feel like a mighty warrior. He was hiding in a cave, threshing wheat in a wine press to keep the Midianites from taking it. He complained to the Lord about the Israelite situation and, and accused God of abandoning them. That didn't stop God from giving him his assignment. The angel of the Lord said in Judges 6.14, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon wanted someone to get them out of their awful situation, but he didn't want to be the one to lead them through the process. 
He had excuses. His clan was the weakest and his family was the smallest. Gideon asked God for signs to confirm he was really supposed to lead his people into battle against the Midianites. God gave him the signs he asked for. After that, Gideon did everything the Lord told him to do to prepare for the fight, including taking fewer men into battle than he had originally assembled. In the end, the Lord gave Gideon a strategy to startle the invading armies as they camped that night. In the confusion, the Midianite men turned on each other, killing one another. Then Gideon and his men pursued and killed the ones who tried to get away. After that, the Midianites left the Israelites alone and Gideon ruled as judge over Israel until his death. Words are powerful. When God called Gideon a mighty warrior, Gideon thought, who, me? As Gideon obeyed God's instructions, the Lord elevated his thinking. God's words moved him to begin to think like a leader. Then Gideon began to speak like a leader. He began to act like a leader, which built his own confidence and that of the Israelites to follow him. Step by step, he became the mighty military warrior God initially called him to be while he was threshing wheat in a cave. Now think about the power of words in a scenario where someone tells you, you look great today. That compliment brings a bright smile to your face. Your body language adjusts to the compliment by straightening your shoulders a bit and holding your head a little higher. Proverbs 12, 25 tells us how powerful and uplifting words can be. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Words create an atmosphere. Words can build someone up or tear someone down. You know how you feel when you're around people who are always complaining. Their words create an atmosphere of doom and gloom. No matter what you say to lift their spirits, they have a negative response. You don't want to be around them for very long because the weight of their words is depressing. The opposite is true of people who are smiling, upbeat, and have positive, positive things to say. <clears throat> Excuse me. Their words create an atmosphere of laughter and joy. The Bible begins in Genesis 1 and 1 by talking about how God spoke, to, spoke the world, nature, and man into existence. The fact that the Lord uses words to create the universe clearly shows their infinite power. You have to consciously think about the words you speak. Begin to train yourself to express confidence in God by using words of faith and hope. The Bible, oh, I already said that, faith and hope. Yeah, the Bible is filled with scriptures you can read and memorize to encourage you. Here's a scripture from 2 Timothy verse chapter 1 verse 7 for god has not given us a spirit of fear but of power love and a sound mind god knows you have fears and he promises to be with you just like he was with gideon peter 5 and 7 sums this up saying cast your cares on him for he cares for you matthew 14 23 through 31 illustrates again how words can impact the situation Jesus had finished speaking to a crowd and went off to pray. When he was done, the disciples were already on a boat some distance from the shore. Jesus decided to walk on the water to reach the boat. The disciples noticed someone walking on the water and thought it was a ghost. As Jesus grew closer, he told them it was he and not to be afraid. Then Peter said in Matthew 14, 
28 through 29. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on water. Jesus told Peter to come and Peter got off the boat and began walking towards Jesus on the water. But when he saw the wind, Peter cried out to Jesus to save him and he began to sink. Jesus reached out and caught Peter. That scene is similar to what happens every in everyday life. As long as Peter looked at Jesus and not at what the wind was doing, he walked on the water. But when he took his focus off the Lord, he began to sink. When you keep your eyes on Jesus and don't focus on the problem, God will keep you from sinking. Isaiah 41, 13 through 14 says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Confronting your fears requires honesty and courage. You have to be willing to examine yourself and accept what God shows about you. What's at the root of fear? Don't let pride get in the way. The Lord says in Psalms 27 verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light, salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? Ooh, Lord, I don't even know who that song by, but I love it. That's a blessing. I will wait on you. I will trust in you. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When you began this journey, the first step I talked about was confession. Being honest with yourself and confessing your mistakes is the beginning of your walk of transformation. Confession doesn't end when you accept Jesus as your Savior. Confession is an ongoing part of your long, lifelong relationship with God. When you mess up, confess it to God and get right back up. Be consistent in your prayer life. God is going to challenge you at every level of your walk with him to confess your sins and fears. You can do so in a safe, non-judgmental environment. It could be in church through your testimony to your pastor, a trusted mentor, or your Bible study group. When you speak that confession, the devil cannot use it against you. When you refuse to admit the fear, your thoughts and emotions gain more and more control over your life. Psalms 34 and 4 says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Confession allows the light of God's love to reassure you and give you lasting peace. God wants to deliver you from fear and into a trust relationship with him. Deliver in this context means to set free. Being delivered requires your cooperation. Let me tell you, there is freedom in confessing what's tormenting you. Yes, releasing those pent up fears is good medicine. I am not saying you should tell people off. God in his timing will lead you through the process of when and how to resolve conflicts. Rely on him and trust him to do it. The Lord might tell you to have a serious heartfelt conversation with someone in a non-confrontational manner to address the problem. I've had to do it. I can tell you that once you confront the person, that fear doesn't control you anymore. It can be challenging. As long as you're afraid, however, you're tied to that situation. May not be by proximity, but there is an emotional connection that needs to be broken to experience true freedom.
As you walk with the Lord, he'll begin to deal with your motives as well. You don't have to do anything for God to love you. Once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have eternal life. But Christians can fall into doing good works out of fear instead of love. You might be doing wonderful things to help others in a ministry. Are you involved in these activities because you want to be accepted, praised, or the center of attention? Serving others should be a natural byproduct or outgrow of your relationship with God. It's your expression of gratitude and love for him and God's people. Fear of not being good enough or not being accepted can lead to pretending. So you appear to be a part of the ministry, but your heart isn't in it. You are missing out on experiencing a true personal relationship with God by just going along out of fear. David wrote Psalms 23, expressing confidence in God's protection and blessing no matter what the circumstances. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Chapter 8. Faith. God knows that you might doubt that he's real. He knows you might struggle with unbelief, especially when you face trying times. It's not wrong to wonder or doubt. But as you take these steps to divine victory, you have to come to a place where you trust God and believe what he says in his word. Faith is the key that unlocks God's promises. Hebrew 11 and 6 says this plainly, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's why the Bible is filled with examples of people with different levels of faith to encourage you. In some cases, they made mistakes and disobeyed God. Yet he didn't give up on them. <clears throat> the Lord used their lives to help others and be a witness to his glory. In Hebrews 11, you read about people who were in distress and suffered various trials, but they made up their minds to believe God. Notice, everyone didn't have the same level of faith. Noah believed in God and obeyed his instruction to build an ark. When people laughed and ridiculed Noah, that didn't stop him from doing what God had told him to do. Abraham is referred to as a great man of faith, yet he wavered after God promised him a child in his, in his and his wife Sarah's old age. He chose a, to have a baby with Sarah's maid before Sarah herself got pregnant. Elijah won a great spiritual victory against 450 men who worship idols. Then the death threats of an evil queen filled him with fear and he went into hiding. Each person had a relationship with the Lord, and God renewed his strength. In every instance, God remained faithful to his promises. You serve a faithful God who wants you to trust him with everything in your life. There is a childlike quality to having faith in God. 
In Matthew 18, the disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus called a child to him and told them, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18 and 3. Jesus isn't saying that you have to act like a child to serve him, but a humble spirit like that of a child, willing to submit to his will, that is what God seeks from you. When parents tell a child, I'm going to buy you a bike, that child believes it and looks forward to receiving the bike. He waits with anticipation for his parents to take him to the store to pick out one or come home with a bike in the trunk. He's excited to get it. A child instinctively expects his parents to love him and take care of him. That's the kind of faith God wants you to have in him. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Think about this for a minute. You take for granted the sky will be blue. When you sit in a chair, you expect it to hold you. And when you work, you believe you'll be paid. Yet the sky is gray sometimes, chairs do collapse, and some dishonest employers do not pay their employees. But you still expect these examples to be true because you've experienced them over and over again. Now think about what you believe about the Lord. Do you believe the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Do you believe the promises in the Bible are for you? Do you expect God to come through for you day in and day out? Unlike the changing color of the sky or circumstances, God doesn't change his mind or promises. Hebrews 13 and 8 says, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are no exceptions such as the examples I used above. God's promises are here are for you. Psalms 145.13 proclaims, The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The challenge for some people is to believe in a God they can't see as one would another human being. God is not a human being. He is a spirit. John 4 and 24 says, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The world teaches you to believe only what you can see. But God flips that way of thinking on its head. Now faith is... Is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. God shows you who he is through your relationship with him. You see God in the events of life and how he uses people to bless you. You see the works of the Lord when you look at the beauty of creation, the birth of a child and acts of kindness. He uses everything he has created to demonstrate that he is almighty. The God who protects, provides, and is merciful. Yes, Lord, I received that message. God wants you to embody his many attributes, and that begins with your faith. God says you have to believe in, believe his word and have faith in him before you see what you are praying for. Matthew 21 and 22 makes clear, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. God wants you to see beyond what is visible with your eyes. This doesn't make sense in your natural mind. But think about the things you don't see and believe in, like oxygen. You can't see it, but that doesn't stop you from breathing in and out. You might not understand all the science behind how oxygen is produced, but you know when you inhale and exhale that it's there. Faith means trusting God no matter what. 
God might not answer all your prayers because that might not be his will for you and his best for you. You have to believe the Lord knows what's best for you. God wants you to trust him so he can guide you. Often the Lord won't take you on a direct route. There will be yield signs, detours, roads closed, an area under construction. <clears throat> what you're facing might not make sense to you, but God is with you. You are never alone. This is not a journey where you can rely on your intellect. 1 Corinthians 1 and 19 says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 cautions, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. These scriptures make it clear that you can't figure God out. It's wasted energy and that's a relief. You don't have to fret and worry trying to figure out every detail of your life. Faith is giving up control and obeying God, knowing he's able to handle every situation and ex meet and exceed all your needs. Then you can rest in his assurance, knowing the outcome is always for your good and for his glory. Faith requires obedience. God might tell you to do something that doesn't make sense, such as giving someone money when you have a bill to pay or giving away some things you'd rather keep for yourself. He might have you working in an environment where you are the only Christian and you'd love to leave, but the door has closed on every job you've tried to get. You or your loved ones might be the victim of ugly gossip or rumors that don't seem like they'll ever go away. Don't give up. God is testing your faith. James chapter 1, 2, and 3 urges us, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance builds your faith. Expect your faith to move out of your comfort zone. Nothing would mean anything to you if there were no challenge to overcome. The appreciation comes from knowing you are an overcomer. That when faced with obstacles, you don't give up or give in. You stood and continued to stand on God's word and you let him fight your battles. The Lord has prepared you with his help to handle every situation you face. These steps you're taking are drawing you closer to him. And he will use those tough times to bless you. Why should God give you everything you ask for like he's a genie in a bottle and not require anything from you? God created you to be in a relationship with him. A relationship is a two-way street. Following the Lord, however, can cost friends, money, time, and whatever, he, whatever else he asks of you. But don't let that scare you. Remember, God says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You aren't the same person you were before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. He's changing you from the inside out. This is not being arrogant. You are not saying you don't care about certain people, places, or things. But in this journey, God must be your first priority if you want to be the victorious person he's created you to be. It's a decision you and only you can make to follow God, not man or your own desires. The wonderful thing about your relationship with God is that his blessings know no bounds. He's a just God who loves you and will never leave you. Did you know the Lord gives everyone a measure of faith? It is a gift from God. You might say, then why don't I have faith? You do have some. This is what Peter said in Romans 12 and 3. 
For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, <clears throat> do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has dis distributed to each of you. God's grace is his unmerited favor. That means you're entitled to benefits you didn't earn. <clears throat> Excuse me. The blessings are yours because you belong to God. You receive God's favor or grace, his unconditional love through faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord says faith the size of a mustard seed will move mountains in your life. The message the seed conveys is this. Start small. Take a step of faith. Little by little, God will reveal himself to you through prayer, scripture, study, and praise and worship. As he does this, your faith will grow. <clears throat> he will open doors for you and close the ones you shouldn't walk through to protect you. Your heart will desire more of his presence. As you seek God, he reassures you hope grows and an unshakable faith takes root. Faith is like a muscle. When you lift weights, you're building your muscles. You might not see the muscles growing in strength at first. Your arms and legs might be sore. You might say this hurts too much to do every day. But as you continue to lift the weights, the pain subsides and you feel the muscles in your arms and legs becoming stronger, building your endurance. You begin to see the muscles bulge a little, a little bit when you flex your arm. The work of lifting those weights is increasing your capacity to lift even more. Faith is shown through your deeds or work. The Apostle James says, faith without works is dead. James 2 and 14 says, What's, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, is if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Deeds or works should be the natural byproduct of your relationship with the Lord. That's how you build your faith, by stepping out despite the fear and doing what the Lord tells you to do. God has called you to be his ambassador, to represent him here on earth. John 15 and 8 urges us as follows. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Fruit is good deeds or work. You are the Lord's arms and legs. Faith is actively working at something. Faith isn't lazy. Faith doesn't sit on the sidelines and wait for someone else to start a needed project or a ministry. God wants you to be the trendsetter, the gold maker and keeper. Wow. I received that also. Your faith is strengthened when you speak God's promises out loud. Learn to speak with confidence in God. Deuteronomy 28 Chapter 1, verse 14, describes the promises that you've inherited as a child of God. The scripture was written during a time when agriculture and livestock were how many people made a living. But the message applies to every endeavor and circumstance. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 28, 12-13 states, The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season, and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. These are scriptures you can memorize and repeat over and over 
to remind you who you are in Christ and his promises for your life. I'm reading. Step out until I finish. I'll be right there. Close the door. I'm reading. These are scriptures you can memorize and repeat over and over to remind you who you are in Christ and his promises for your life. Avoid saying such negative things about your situation as he'll never change or I'll never have anything. Use uplifting words no matter what the situation looks like. Romans 8 and 28 promises. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Or consider Philippians 4 and 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Speaking affirmations over every aspect of your life, your family, and beyond all allows God to move on your behalf because your faith gives him authority to act. Remember, the Lord isn't going to force himself on you. Your faith is the key to your divine victory. That's chapter 8, faith. Chapter 9, love. Love. These four letters express the heartbeat of God for you and all mankind. God is love. No matter where you're from, your social or economic status, or what you've been through or are going through at this very moment, the God of the universe loves you. God expresses his love through actions. John 16 is a familiar verse with important truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son Jesus, God took upon himself the punishment we would have, should have received for all our sins, past, present, and future. God chose to lay down his son's life for you because he loves you and created you to be in a love relationship with him. This isn't the type of love that grows or fades depending on circumstances. God's love is agape love, the highest expression of love. This love isn't based on feelings because feelings and situations change. Agape love is unconditional and sacrificial. His love doesn't depend on your performance, what you do or don't do for him. The Lord loves you just as you are, but he does want you to reflect more of his character inside and out. That's why your relationship with the Lord is so important. His desire is that you learn to love others just as he loves you. That's what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven when he asked him, What is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbors as yourself. It's easy to love people who are kind to you and show you love. The challenge is loving those who are mean, hateful, and persecute you. Yet, God commands you to love them anyway and forgive them when they wrong you. Luke 6 and 35 says, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. I don't know about that. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Mm, mm, mm. Notice this scripture says you'll receive a reward. God will bless you for your obedience. He also says he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Ultimately, the Lord will judge their ways and their motives. He calls you to follow his example and show kindness to the ungrateful. How can you possibly love the unlovable, you say? Agape love is able to see people as human beings 
made in God's image. Remember, it's not based on feelings. Have feelings. You don't have to like their ways or their attitudes, but you make up your mind to love people because they are created in God's image. This love comes from spending time with God and from the work of his Holy Spirit within you. The Lord enables you to love when common sense will suggest the opposite. Anything God asks you to do, he will empower you to do. I grew up in a large family with 14 brothers and sisters. I didn't have a father figure in my life. My mother worked three jobs and was gone a lot. I wasn't raised in a church. Everybody did what they wanted to do. God sent an angel by way of a neighbor to take me to vacation Bible school. I didn't know it then because I was a child, but God was introducing himself to me. Although it wasn't until I was an adult that I accepted Jesus as my savior and committed my life to serving him, God planted the seed long ago. When I became saved, family members and people who thought I, were friend, I thought I were friends with turned on me. So many cruel things were said and done to me that I didn't think I'd be able to forgive any of them. But I can say I feel genuine love and compassion for them. It can take time. For me, it took years of prayer, worship, and spending time in the Lord's presence to let go of the resentment and pain. I know I have the love of God in my heart now. For my enemies. That's the power of God's love in my life. He will heal your wounded heart and give you the ability to love those who have wronged you as well. First, you have to want to please God. Being committed to serving God with your whole heart is the only way to live a life of divine victory. A relationship with the Lord is a lifestyle. Devotion to God cannot be done by going to church on Sunday and living the rest of the week doing your own thing. You are not going to grow in the Lord, and you'll remain stagnant, wondering why your life isn't changing for the better. You have to want God more than anything else in your life. He has to come first. A relationship with the Lord is a way of life. It's a lifestyle. Putting the Lord first is hard for some people to accept. In John 6, 35-59, Jesus knew many would fall away because putting God first means giving up selfish desires. When he was talking to a group of disciples, not the twelve, they were grumbling about his lesson. He told them they would have to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. Jesus didn't mean that literally. He was telling them that they must be devoted to God. When you're committed to the Lord, he's going to confront how you're living and your motives. John 6 and 60, it says, On hearing it, the lesson, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Jesus went on to say that no one can come to him unless the Father has enabled them. That's powerful. Anyone who accepts Jesus as the Son of God does so because the Lord gives the person the desire to receive the truth. God gives you a yearning to be in a relationship with him. Through the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, he equips you for this love walk. Spending time in prayer so God can minister to your heart and your mind is the key. You have to have a prayer life. That's a step you'll have to learn more about in chapter 11. Loving people requires submission to the word of God. It means letting go of your pride, being willing to forgive, and keeping your focus on pleasing the Lord. There is no pretending or lying to yourself or others. 
When you love the Lord, you want to please him. You want to be a blessing to his people. This is what 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3 says about love. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only, resound, only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is how important love is to God. There is no greater virtue. Loving others blesses you. Love can literally heal your mind and body. It brings peace and harmony to your life. In the chapter about forgiveness, I share with you the physical impact of negative emotions. Harboring hate, resentment, and bitterness can lead to chronic illnesses such as high blood pressure, diabetes, arthritis, and various forms of cancer. The total negative emotions have on the body cannot be underestimated. Those emotions led to alcohol and drug abuse along with violence. Angry people hurt people. When you're consumed with destructive feelings such as envy, jealousy, and seeking revenge, you are miserable on, on the inside. Conjuring up ways to hurt people won't bring you lasting joy or peace. It's a vicious cycle. God wants you to be healthy and whole in your emotions. Love is the road to your recovery from disappointment, hardships, loneliness, and all the destructive emotions the devil wants you to repeat over and over in your mind. Love frees your mind and heals your body. Whatever the problem is, love is a part of your recovery. God commands you to love for your own good. Love is so powerful. Love conquers anything that stands in the way of your walk with God. Loving yourself is important in this step. Loving yourself means letting go of any guilt or shame you are harboring over your past. Stop beating yourself up for your mistakes. Repent, look to God who is your strength, and keep moving forward through him. When you hold on to regret, it steals your joy. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. You are important to God. Thinking less of yourself diminishes the value the Lord places on your life. He says you are beautifully and wonderfully made. When you put yourself down, you're dismissing what he has already said about you. God wants the best for you. That's why you're reading this book. He wants you to understand who he is and be a part of his kingdom and have eternal life. Accept who he says you are in his word and reject any attempts of the devil to trick you into thinking you are worthy of the Lord's love and care. You are unworthy of the Lord's love and care. It's a common tactic that the devil uses to keep people in emotionally and physically abusive relationships by crushing their self-esteem. God doesn't want you to be a doormat. He gives you wisdom to discern the intent of people's hearts. When you don't know who you are in the Lord, the devil, the enemy of your soul, will work to reinforce every negative thought you have about yourself. He'll send people to tell you, you aren't anything and you'll never be anything. Those negative voices will tell you what you can't do and what you have, what you don't have, and attack any attempt you make to change your life for the better. Notice, the very people the devil try, uses to try and destroy, destroy your confidence are angry, vindictive, and violent in their words and actions. Even though they may be appear 
might appear to be kind and thoughtful on the surface. Their heart is not for you. In one breath, they might express love for you, and then later you're struggling to overcome their lies, manipulations, threats, and even physical assaults. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to take back what the devil stole from you so you can live an abundant life. John 8.44 calls the devil what he is. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his, his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Don't settle for less than God's best. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, Says so, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Seek his guidance, pray for resources, and the right people will help you if you are in a, an abusive relationship. The Lord will give you a strategic plan to leave that keeps you and your loved ones safe. A parable in Luke 15, 11 through 31 is about the prodigal son, I guess, prodigal son, prodigal. Prodigal means spending money or resources recklessly. Mm. A wealthy father has two sons. When the younger son is old enough, he's, he asks his father for his share of his inheritance. The father gives it to him. Gives the, gives the son the money and <laughs> this son travels to another country. He wastes the money on wild living. After he spends all he has, there is a famine in the land. The son finds himself penniless and works for a landowner where his job is to feed the pigs. The young son is so hungry, he would have eaten the slop the pigs ate if his boss offered it to him. Then he comes to his senses. The son realizes he has a home where his father has servants and everything he wants and needs is there for him. He makes up his mind to go back home. When he arrives, he tells his father he is sorry and he repents. He is willing now to be a servant for his father because he doesn't feel worthy to be called his son anymore. What the younger son doesn't know is that his father was watching him all the time while he was gone. When his father sees his son in the distance heading towards their home, he runs to greet them. The father embraces his son and tells his servants to quickly bring him the best robe, a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet. The father celebrates his son's return with a feast. The son initially thought his life would be better off out there, somewhere else in another land doing everything he wanted to do. He didn't mind blowing his share of the money his father earned to keep him financially secure in the future. He was tired of working. He wanted to call the shots. He wanted to be his own man. So he thought what he came to realize was that everything he thought he wanted was fleeting and wouldn't last. When the money was gone, then his party friends left him and no one cared. When the younger son was so hungry, that he'd eat pig slop, he knew that he'd hit rock bottom. He knew he'd messed up. The son who took his father for granted and demanded his inheritance was ready to humble himself and repent for his mistakes. The prodigal, the prodigal son is the story of every Christian. No matter what you do wrong, God waits eagerly for you to cry out to him so he can embrace you with his love. The young son's father is an example of how God sees you.
He knows you'll make mistakes, but that doesn't change how he feels about you. Now you can embrace others who have hurt you and disappointed you with love God's extend to you. You won't lose anything, but you will gain much more. 1 John 4 and 16 declares, So we have come to know and to believe that the love God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. God will bind up your wounds and give you the power to love for his glory and use you as a light to help others. Clarity, no charity. Charity is an integral part of love. Actually, agape also means charity. Charity is given to the less fortunate or helping others who have a need, whether it's due to an illness or, or other unforeseen situation that arises. Charitable organizations you might give to provide specific services to help people. But charitable is more than handing someone money or things. It's a mindset. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3 says, Someone can give all they have, but if there is not real love, charity in their heart, it's not really charity or love. Charity is willingly sharing what you have with others, gladly. This type of generosity includes your brothers and sisters in Christ. Giving to fellow believers is, a str is stressed by the Apostle Paul. In his travels, he collected donations from Christians to help other congregations in need. Still, there's more to charity than giving. Charity is an act of love displayed by your attitude towards others and how you treat them. Do you take pleasure in judging people? Do you enjoy pointing out their mistakes or putting stumbling blocks in their way? Do you secretly wish you had what they have or resent their kindness towards you? Do you hold grudges? Charity is brotherly kindness, patience, and compassion. Try substituting the word charity where it says love in the scriptures below from 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. This is what charity looks like in the lives of believers. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God desires that you live a life committed to charity love. Don't be afraid to love. The Lord will show you how. Isaiah 41 and 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He's able to heal your heart. Psalms 147 and 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The Lord promises to take everything you've been through, turn it around and turn it around in a way that blesses you bountifully. You have to believe it by faith. Romans 8 and 8 proclaims. And we know that for those who love God and all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, let the peace of God and his steadfast love guard your heart. Trust God and celebrate where he's taking you on this journey because the steps of a righteous man and woman are ordered by the Lord. Okay, guys, that was chapter nine. Oh my gosh, we have three more steps and I'm so excited. I'm going to finish those out this week, I promise. I've been busy. 
But I'm so grateful for you all listening. Thank you. Share. This book is blessing us. What's up, guys? I am starting at chapter 11. Chapter 11 is prayer in 12 steps to divine victory. We are almost there. We are almost done. Chapter 1 was confession. 2, repentance. 3, submission. 4, forgiveness. 5, preparation. 6, waiting. 7, confront fear. 8 is faith. 9 is love. 10 is joy. And number 11 is prayer. Let's begin. Life can be filled with busyness. There's work, children, family, friends, TV, social media, and movies. There's also hanging out at happy hours and parties. Would it take a flowchart to show you how you spend your time during the course of a day or a week? Is prayer on your to-do list? Is it in the top 10? Maybe it's knocked off the list, depending on what's going Mommy, on. I want my food. Okay, baby, I'm coming, okay? Let me finish reading and then I'll be out. Prayer is the way you communicate with the Lord and he speaks to you. Without prayer, you're not connected to your power source for living. Prayer plugs you into the mind and heart of God. He is the master teacher who wants to guide you. It takes communication to foster and develop a bond with a person. There's no difference with the Lord. Actually, prayer is an act of obedience. In Colossians 4 and 2, the Bible says, be devoted to prayer. There is no way to have a relationship with anyone without spending time talking to the person and getting to know him or her. That's how you tr- how trust is built and you learn how a person operates. Prayer allows you to share what's on your mind and in your heart with the Lord. And he reveals himself to you as you seek him daily. In this chapter, I want to focus on helping you understand the purpose of prayer in your walk with God and why it's vital to divine victory. There are probably very few people you feel comfortable calling any time of the day or night. But God is always available. You can talk to him and share what's on your mind regardless of the hour. First Peter 5 and 7 says, No. First Peter 5 and 7 issues an invitation. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The Bible says in Jeremiah 33 and 3, Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Maybe you don't even know what to say. The Lord has an answer for that too. In Romans 8, 26 through 27, God says, don't worry about trying to get it right. The Holy Spirit prays for you. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through worldless groans. And he who searches for our hearts knows the mind of the spirit himself. No, no, no. Mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Okay, let's start over. In Romans 8, 26 through 27, God says, don't worry about trying to get it right. The Holy Spirit prays for you. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through worldless groans. And he who searches for our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. 
In Matthew 6, 5 through 8, Jesus teaches the disciples and us about prayer and gives us a model prayer as a guide in verses 9 through 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In this prayer, God is recognized first as being holy. That's what hallowed means. Jesus tells us to ask that God God's will be done here on earth so that earth reflects heaven. He also makes it clear that forgiving others is just as important as seeking the Lord's forgiveness for our own sins. Jesus tells us to pray, to turn from temptation, because he knows the devil wants to destroy us by getting us off track. 1 Peter 5 and 8 cautions, cautions. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's why God's word says in 1 Chronicles 16 and 11, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. When you pray, your heart and mind are more receptive to hearing from the Lord because you're focused on him. As your prayer life grows, you develop a strong sense of knowing when God is speaking to you in your spirit. In Psalms 32 and 8, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. When the Lord instructs you, you might wonder if it's really he. If you believe it's coming from a pure place and the motive is only good, then the Lord is likely leading you. The devil isn't going to tell you to do anything good. If you have any anxiety about what you think he's saying to you, wait, don't make a decision. If that door closes, it was supposed to. God will open another one. When you pray, you find comfort and encouragement as the Lord builds your faith. His abiding love for you brings peace and restoration. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. When issues arise in your day, you can pray silently for a moment for God's guidance. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 7 says to pray continually. The Lord does not expect you to handle anything without him. He wants you to seek him in prayer. Proverbs eight seventeen is so encouraging. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. He's the only one who can fill the void in your life. He designed you that way. Family, friends, lovers, spouses, children, work materials, None can take the place of being in relationship with Almighty God. Prayer requests setting aside time. Prayer requires setting aside time to spend with the Lord. Praying early in the morning, depending on the time you start your day, is best because there are fewer distractions. Find a quiet spot, a space where you can talk to him alone. In Matthew 6 and 6, Jesus says, says this, when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You can speak to him as a father, confidant, and friend. Talk to God just like you speak to a person. You can pour your heart out to him. He already knows everything about you. Prayers builds, prayer builds intimacy with the Lord. Why is that important? Intimacy is expressed through a bond. 
a closeness that knits your heart, your heart to God's. You begin to rely on him more and more, and he in return reveals more of himself to you. It is a process that takes time and commitment. Keep in mind that prayer isn't just an exercise you perform to get what you want. Yes, you can bring any desire before him. He's inter interested in every detail of your life from the smallest concern to the largest issue. In John 15 and 7, Jesus promises, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Notice there's a requirement expect is expressed here. God wants you to spend time with him and read his words so you become rooted in him. Prayer is a two-way conversation. That's how God changes you from the inside out. As you seek his presence, your desires begin to change, and what he wants for you becomes more important than what you thought you wanted or needed to be happy. When you rely on him, he does the work. When you finish praying, don't get up quickly. Sit in his presence so he can speak to you and you, he you can hear his heart regarding you. Jesus sought the Lord in prayer continually. He had an assignment that would take him to the cross to pay the penalties for the sins of all mankind. He had much to accomplish in his three years of ministry. Crowds followed Jesus as he traveled throughout villages, forgiving people for their sins, healing the sick, and casting out demons. We learn in Luke 5, 16 that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He had to spend time with God to obtain his father's instructions. He came to earth as a man and experienced the emotions of pain, joy, and sorrow just as you, do, you and I do. Yet the Bible says Jesus is divine, which means holy. Although he was man, he was also God. In John 10 and 30, Jesus makes this clear. I and the Father are one. You have an assignment in the kingdom of God. Through prayer, God shares his plan for your, for your life with you. His goal is to continue to perfect you along the way. How many times have you made decisions, some life-changing, and then wish you had prayed first? I know I have. The Lord may tell you to wait. This isn't the time for you to take a certain path. God might have that goal in mind for you, but not right now. God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at one time. He knows what you need, what, when you need it, and how to get it to you. More times than not through prayer, God is changing you so he can answer your requests. He hears your prayers, but depending on what the request is, he might remain silent for now. For instance, he may want you to learn how to wait on his timing in a particular situation. Maybe the assignment he has for you requires that other people be involved and he's putting them in position so everything comes together seamlessly. God may want to shift your thinking so you are a good steward over what he wants to give you. Remember what I said in the last chapter about being mature enough to handle certain requests. God might not feel it's the right time to fulfill a particular desire, or he might let you have what you want to show you that it, is, it wasn't the right time. Then that experience becomes a lesson so you don't make that mistake again, and your story becomes a testimony to help others. Some requests he might not answer because it's not what's best for you. It might take you out of his will. Trust that the Lord in his infinite wisdom knows, what, knows where he's taking you in your walk with him. Are you holding bitterness, anger, or resentment in your heart towards someone? The Lord might show you it's time to face that situation and the deep hurt you've tried to tuck away. Have you ever thought you were a, over a past hurt only to have it rise up and you realize it's not over? 
I have prayed to forgive someone who I felt wronged me. I said I forgave them. But when their name come, came up, so did some negative emotions. When I'd see them, I'd feel some uneasiness. I would say it's all good, but it wasn't. I knew there were some unresolved feelings that I didn't want to face. I had to go to God about it because I knew in my heart that wasn't right. How could I pray for others sincerely when I was harboring resentment? That's not the true love of God. How could I be honest with God but not willing to look at myself and confess those feelings and repent? God convicted me and I had to go before him in prayer about that person until God changed my heart towards the person. I know you might feel justified in not letting go of a devastating experience, but God wants you to live with joy and peace. I have a relative whose boyfriend in anger slammed her baby's head against a countertop repeatedly. The baby died. He went to prison. She was filled with anger towards him. The Lord told her to forgive him. She suffered and grieved for years, seeking counseling and continuing to pray to God. It took time, 15 years, but she shared with me recently she knows she's forgiving him. Now she is not bound to her ex-boyfriend because of his heinous crime. She's emotionally and mentally free. You might never understand why certain things happen the way they do, but when you trust God, he promises to heal and comfort you. Praying is communing with the Lord. Yes, God answers prayers for healing, to meet needs and all the concerns that arise in life. But God wants to be honored when you pray. All of the adjectives that describe the Lord in the Bible can be used in prayer. Acknowledge him as the creator of the universe, your heavenly father who is merciful, righteous, and holy. The Lord is to be exalted, glorified, and praised during prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, Colossians 4 and 2. Your word should express your gratitude and trust in him. You can incorporate scriptures into your prayer. Remind the Lord of his promises and that you're standing on his word. Pray with thanksgiving despite the circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Sometimes when you pray... You might wonder why things aren't changing like they did when you first became saved. Confess Jesus as your savior. A lot of things might have transpired. There might have been trauma and pain in your life. Things said and done along the way that have tainted you. That's when you look inward and seek God so he can show you what's blocking your progress. Your progress. Expect the Lord to reveal it to you. In Psalms 5, David prayed for guidance for himself and others. He did so expecting God to answer his prayer. In Psalm 5 and 3, David says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Prayer brings you into a place of surrender and submission. The depth of his love for you stirs your heart to want to please him, even when his instructions take you out of your comfort zone. He may put someone in your path to encourage there might be someone he wants you to bless with a gift. When you pray, you begin to recognize God's voice. Then you can hear him throughout the day, guiding you to do certain things. Sometimes you may not understand why, but this is how God operates. Can he trust you to be obedient even when you don't get it? So he can answer your prayer? Know this, if you're living in sin and you're doing the same things over and over, 
Your prayers are of no use. God doesn't honor sin. You have to make a decision to confess, repent, and change. The Lord is not going to bless your disobedience, even though it might appear you're getting away with it. There are consequences in this life and in eternity. The Bible says you will reap what you sow. Cry out to him so he can change your heart and heal your mind. Prayer is uplifting and gives you hope. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Mark 11 and 24. This is God's promise to you. Pray knowing that he is faithful and true to his word. That is the conclusion of chapter 11. And I just want to end it out with a prayer. And I'm, I'm asking you, God and the angels, to guide my words. You know, I this this whole book has been making me so emotional. Just touching up on things. It's, it's very beautiful. Thank you, Prophetess Gwendolyn Richardson. And it's such a beautiful book. Beautiful words and beautiful reminders. And I just want to go in and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for guiding me guiding the listeners here guiding us protecting us watching over us having a set plan for us you know even creating us that that's a joy and beauty within itself we may not know what tomorrow holds, lord but we are believing in you and expecting miracles the highest blessings lord we ask that you forgive us of our sins we come to you with humble hearts Silent minds, ready to listen, ready to take in, Lord. I ask that you keep us covered. Our family and friends watch over us, Lord. Help us in our own way, our path of helping heal this nation, raising the vibration, awakening others. May we do so gently. May we forgive our debtors as we want our debts forgiven. Seriously, and I thank you, Lord, and your son Jesus. Chapter 12. We're finally here. The name of this chapter is Praise. Let's take a deep breath in. Breathe out. Take a moment and think about how far you've come in your walk towards divine victory. Your journey began with confession. You moved into repentance and made strides through every step to reach the final one praise you've probably had some slips and trips but that hasn't stopped you this is a good time for a praise break thank you lord that simply means praise the lord you are here god has kept you despite what you see or how you might feel praise honors and recognizes god for who he is your creator and sustainer i think of praise as compliments the Lord is merciful, gracious, and patient. He's your healer, provider, and protector. The psalmist cries out, We praise you, God, we praise you, for your name is near. People tell of your wonderful deeds. God delights in your praise because he created you to be in a relationship with him. Ephesians 2 and 10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How are you expressing your appreciation to God? Are you joyful, excited, or thankful? Do you tell him so? In Psalms 104, the writer says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. You might look at your situation and think, I don't have a reason to thank God for anything. 
but no matter what you're facing, the God of all creation loves you. You are here because he has a plan for your life. God is ready to bless you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Don't give up. Don't complain. Make the decision to trust God. Praise the Lord and he will help you walk out his plan for you. You can acknowledge that things didn't look good right now, but through faith, you're praising him anyway because you know he's working on your behalf. Is anyone among you suffering? The Apostle James writes, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs of praise. That's James 5 and 13. No matter what's going on in your life, good or challenging, praise the Lord. Praises take your mind off yourself and places it on God. He's the only one who can handle anything you come up against. Peter said, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. First Peter 5 and 7. He's your strength, your guide, and your friend. There's, praise, there's peace in praising God. He calms your anxiety and fears. Through praise, you're strengthened and encouraged because you're looking to your heavenly father. That's where your help comes from. What does praise look like? It can be singing, dancing, clapping, playing musical instruments, shouting, running, or jumping. There's no set pattern. It's your expression of your love and gratitude to God. I've heard it said, it doesn't take all that to praise the Lord. But true heartfelt praise will make you want to release all those pent-up feelings inside of you. We shout at sporting events when a team or athlete scores. You jump for joy when you get an unexpected gift. Why wouldn't you express your appreciation for God with enthusiasm? When you think about what he's brought you through and saved you from, there should be some outward expression of gratitude. People struggle with how it might look to others or what they will say. In the meantime, they're carrying around their joys and burdens bottled up inside of them. No one watching you can save you. God is your source for everything. Focus on the Lord. Praising God should be joyous. Praising him can bring a smile to your face or put tears in your eyes. That is so true. Whether it's your daily routine or the major achievements he's blessed you to attain, the Lord deserves your sincere praise. Release those emotions. Yell, moan, lift your hands, or kneel before him. Whatever expression your praise takes, let God know he's Lord of your life and you're grateful. In the Bible, God calls King David a man after his own heart because he worshiped and praised the Lord. David sinned, but he sincerely loved God. David sought God in prayer and worshiped him. He wrote many of the Psalms in the Bible and didn't hesitate to pour his heart out to God when he was glad, sad, or in distress. In Samuel 2, verse 6, no, Samuel 2, chapter 6, 12 through 22. David dances and leaps for joy as he leads the Israelites into moving the ark of God from a temporary place to the city of David. The ark represented the Lord's presence. King David and all Israel rejoiced over the ark of God's return. David's wife, Michal, watched him praising God from her window. As she looked at David celebrating with the people, the Bible says she despised him in her heart. When he came home, Michael criticized David, saying he was embarrassing himself, but he rejected that notion. The man God anointed to be king had a personal relationship with the Lord. He experienced God's hand upon him from the time he was a shepherd boy. 
He wasn't about to let Michael's opinion keep him from freely praising and worshiping God. That's wonderful. In Acts 16, 16 through 29, the owners of a slave woman who was a fortune teller had Paul and Silas beaten and arrested. When this woman saw Paul and Silas, she would shout, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Paul was tired of it, and one day he commanded the demon to come out of her, <laughs> and it left. The men who owned her were mad because they made a lot of money off her telling the future. While Paul and Silas were in jail, the pair prayed and sang hymns. At midnight, all at once, the jail's foundation shook and the doors flew open. All the prisoners' chains came loose. The jailer was going to kill himself because he knew he'd be responsible for the prisoners' escape. But Paul and Silas didn't run out, and everyone stayed put. They told the jailer not to hurt himself. He brought the men out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior, as well as his entire family that same night. Look at how God responded to Paul's and Silas' praise and worship while they were jailed. He removed not only the prisoners' chains for all to see, a whole family was saved. You might not be in a physical prison, but you might feel locked up and bound to your past. Those negative experiences and emotions make you feel trapped. God is able to remove those mental shackles when you praise and worship him. You don't have to go in circles in your mind trying to change yourself. Breaking chains is one of the awesome benefits of praise. When I was talking to my family about this, this step, my daughter Miyoshi, who loves science, gave us this example. She said, praise is like flame to a fire. Think of all the bad stuff you lug around. The past hurts, unforgiveness, shame, guilt, anger, jealousy, etc. As leaves, limbs, and brush. When you bring all of that debris to God and lay it at his feet, your praise is like a flame that starts a fire. God's breath provides the oxygen that burns up all that stuff. When you continue to praise God, that fire is constantly burning, removing burdens and preventing troubles from becoming a hindrance later. Hebrews 13 and 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. The more you praise and worship God, the more debris he burns away and prevents from gaining any ground in your life. Praise draws you closer to God. It builds your confidence in the Lord, and that's where you'll find peace. Romans 8 and 6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. When you praise God, you are surrendering to him. My husband Charles puts it this way. Praise requires your total commitment and honesty. It's personal. When you throw your hands up, it's like you've been captured by the love and grace of Almighty God. Psalm 63, 3 through 4 says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. You're expressing your desire and willingness to allow God to be the Lord of your life. You give all your cares to him. You let go of pride. Charles says it was praising God while he was in a drug rehabilitation center for the second time that broke his addiction to crack cocaine. Now he says he's addicted to the Holy Spirit. Charles says when he completely let go and turned all his issues over to God, the Lord stepped in and transformed his mind and heart. 
You might find yourself in a situation where you need to make a quick decision. My son, Jamarcus, is an assistant pastor in our ministry. He said a word of praise will help you when you're not sure what to do. God will speak to you in that very moment. Yes, Lord. When you praise God, you're humbling yourself before him. Jamarcus also talked about being real. Praise has to be real and selfless. It's only when you stop hiding and sincerely praising, praise the Lord that he can heal you. This type of praise will provoke you to testify about God's goodness and expose the skeletons in your closet. When you share your life's testimony, you're helping someone else who is struggling. This is one of the ways God uses you to bless others. Your testimony lets them know they're not the only one who has struggled with a particular problem. Psalm 66, 16 through 19 says, Come in here, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. God knows your motives. Your praise isn't, if your praise isn't sincere, you'll continue to struggle in the old unproductive cycles you've created to try and manage your life. Praise purifies. That purification process is like the fire that my daughter Miyoshi talked about. It burns away the baggage that's blocking your progress. That purifying process sets you free from sin and from beating yourself up over and over again for your mistakes. Give it to God and praise him for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible makes it clear. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives, who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Through praise, God fortifies your soul. You are made free to be all that God created you to be. When you seek him and trust him with your whole heart. Be steadfast in prayer and allow the Lord to change you from the inside out. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim that his name is exalted. Isaiah 12 and 4. That concludes the 12 steps to divine victory. That was so amazing. There is a sweet anointing in the sanctuary. There is a stillness in the atmosphere. Oh, come lay down the burdens you have carried for in the sanctuary. 